Welcome to Studio Red Band's Neil Ross Serial Milestone Crossover Event on MadCast. Seven issue by night, right in Q&A. Red, white, and true with Joe Rambo, Neil Ross, band across deep dive excerption in Studio Red Band's Rambo Mania, TerraCast, Balboa Unearthed, the ACU, an alternate cinematic universe, and Alt Stallone. Madcast with no infringement on any copyright nor registered trademark, intentional for all ages access, shown for educational purposes only. With our very, very special thanks through co-op association with legendary voiceover artist and actor and anime king, Neil Ross. As we kind of seed out to a grander vision from this micro uh, Q&A portion, um, Rambo Mania kind of throwback to the old school Rambo Mania, um, that amazing uh, deep dive force of freedom, um, just a, a, like a box set in itself of episodes dealing with force of freedom. Uh, back in the last portions of season two of Rambo Mania, in I think the the second volume of Rambo Mania, um, you know that's something I really wanted to rework for this, and I think uh, I'll let the cat out of the bag and just say that we plan on coming back uh, to do different uh, mini series dealing with Neil Ross, you know. Um, hopefully culminating with the live action Neil Ross episodes and, you know, covering this and then going back and re-looking at our original uh, deep dive into Force of Freedom. But um, I was just so um, gifted to uh, work, to, 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 to kind of talk with Neil Ross through emails and, and set up this series and you know, I just, I hope Neil, Neil is safe and, and everything out there. Uh, I saw a really cool, uh, some really cool posts on his page that just wore my heart going through this um, tough time right now. Um, you know, anyway, uh, like, he's got this really, really cute picture of uh, some ducks over there today um, on, his, on his pool. Uh, just amazing stuff, just amazing stuff. So, Neil, my, my heart... My heart goes out to you uh, right now, wherever you are. And I really just want to thank you again for helping us with this series. Um, so going back here, this is a micro, how do you call that? A micro um, interview. Now, to that, to, 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 co like, uh, to coincide that on another token, um, when we get lower in, like, like when we get through some of these questions, you're gonna see that uh, some of them go unanswered, and that's because, uh, like I said, we're gonna come back for Neil Ross more with the live action stuff, but we're also gonna do another deep dive later on because he was so cool, so 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 cool, and sent us, um, you know, like 500 pages of notes from Vocal Recall, which I also picked up. I had bought the book, but Neil Ross sent me another copy, which uh, I was just so thankful for we're gonna get to that when we hit the alt stallone episode where we promote that book and take a deeper look into some of these uh 
pieces here that we're going to talk about in just a second. So, to without further ado, I should say, uh, here is um, a little bit of the discussion that we had through the email uh, with some of the questions I had sent him and some of the answers he provided. And we'll be going into that further um, later on when we hit the Alt Stallone episode and then when we come back because we had so, I had so many questions and there's so there's so many um what do you, what do you call that um so many references in the book you know so i really think it would be you know i really thought okay we'll split it up cuz we still have a lot to cover now we'll come back and we will deep dive even further we'll do another all stallone episode and we'll go even further into the book talking about some of these absolutely amazing stories in the book part of the reason why this took so long to put together is because i was just going through that book like crazy trying to trying to like um piece together th I, my 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 room looked like uh what do you call that you know when you have that big board on the wall with the strings going all over the place like those fbi guys <laughs> like x-files or something so i thought you know the best way to do this would be just to split it up because it was taking me so long to get this series out. So, enough bantering on. Here we go. So, he writes back to me. He says, Matt, I won't include um, the original conversation. Uh, maybe we'll get to that. Um, I'll ask Neil, Neil if we can cover that excerpt and place it with the next one. Um, anyway, so he writes to me. He says, Matt, you'll find a lot of answers to your questions in my book, Vocal Recall. A Life in Radio and Voiceovers. I've uh, indicated page numbers for the Rambo stuff. For the rest, just check the index. Feel free to use anything you like. I'd appreciate it if you would include a plug for the book in whatever you end up releasing. The book is available in print, Kindle, and audio at Amazon, Audible, or www.neilbook.com. Thanks, Best Neil. I gotta get this audiobook too. Maybe that will even help me better because I could hear it in Neil's voice, you know? And uh, maybe maybe that will trigger some things. I think I find that's also the best way to do deep dives like this with where books are concerned, where you can kind of how should I say? Read the book on Kindle or in paperback fashion, and at the same time be listening to the audiobook. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you will retain a crazy, a crazy influx of knowledge. Um, you know, it's just if you've ever listened to some some really amazing like Stephen King. Uh, I love it when Stephen does that. Or, um, you know, I wish David Morrell would do that. Or um, oh, Malcolm Gladwell. Amazing. Just mind completely, completely, completely blown. Um, and I just want to say here. Um, that our old Stallone series, as some of you know, is a book plug series, um, majority a book plug series, because there's so many great Stallone pieces throughout the years that we don't, we haven't gotten to see, and I've been collecting, no joke, hundreds of novels to explore those, because everybody talks about the Stallone we did get to see. Nobody talks about the Stallone we didn't get to see. So, you know, I like I always talk about how 
we don't intend to uh, infringe on any copyrights or registered trademarks or anything that that series um, is mainly for educational purposes and to get people to go out and buy these books support the artists support that labor of love do your part you know and you'll feel better when you do uh, you know science has shown that people have a better connection to music movies and books comics included comics are a big part of it um when they pay for it they have a better appreciation and a better relationship with the source material it's been proven go out and see for yourself so we're gonna get now we're gonna get to these questions here we go question zero how did you get into voice acting neil says i started out in radio as a dj production guy i first heard about the voiceover business in 1970 it was a very well-kept secret in those days once i found out about it i knew I would, I would be a far better fit. It would be a far better fit for me. It took me a while to make it happen, but in the early 80s, I managed to break in. Question number one. How did you get the gig for Rambo, the Force of Freedom cartoon? Neil writes, like just about every other voiceover job I auditioned for. Question two. What was it like auditioning for Rambo? What was the process like? He says the answer to questions two and three and, and four are in my book, which I have attached. See pages 364 to 380. So there's a little tease. That will be answered when we get to the Alt Stallone episode of this, you know, Metamat crossover. Crossover event. Never been anything like it on the show. We also have a TerraCast Rambo Mania crossover that I've been teasing for, for like two years now, which is coming a little later on in the year. Actually, a lot sooner sooner than I thought because I thought initially it was going to get pushed back two years because it was such a big, big project. But, um, yeah, that just goes to show how these things happen. You know, I thought that was going to come out with the Rambo 5 release. Sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. But sometimes I think... It's even better than it comes when the time is right. You know, when that time is right, I find it comes out in a better quality. Um, all right. Question number three. What was the production of Force of Freedom like? Question number four. Do you have a favorite memory uh, regarding working on Rambo? And question five, which he answers here. Was there any talks of future Force of Freedom related projects that never happened neil writes not that i am aware of but find out the answers to questions two three and four when we get to the old stallone episode so mark that one on your calendar it's just a couple of days away question number six have you gotten to work um have you gotten to work on some truly you have gotten sorry you have gotten to work on some um truly epic projects what are some of your favorites neil writes my favorites are the one that people remember the ones that people remember uh that would include the mighty voltron gi joe transformers and back to the future part two uh those we're going to be kind of looking at later on when we come back uh, down the line when we do the next miniseries drop 
for the Neil Ross projects. Um, okay, so this next question kind of touches on that. Um, and I guess you can kind of count it as a little teaser of things to come uh, later on down the line. So here they are. Uh, what was it like to work on such awesome projects as Back to the Future 2, Babe, Roseanne, Explorers, Gremlins 2, Inner Space, Dick Tracy, to name a few? Neil writes, there's all kinds of stuff on these in the book. Just check the index. And we will be checking that index with you live when it happens. Question number eight. Are there any projects you wish you could have done that didn't get that you didn't get around to doing? And Neil says, or Neil writes, well, I wish I could have worked on The Simpsons, but it just wasn't in the stars. You know what, Neil? I wish I could have seen you on The Simpsons. Hopefully, hopefully when this whole thing out there in the world right now clears up, maybe we'll see you on The Simpsons, you know? Never give up hope. Okay, question nine. Is there anything you would like to do in the future regarding voice projects? Neil writes, nothing specific. Just want to keep doing it. Or just want to keep on doing it. Which is the best... Uh, the best, you know, answer here because it shows the labor of love for doing something. You know, it shows that you love what you do. And when you love what you do, it comes across. So that that's just great. Um, question 10. Are you working on anything? And, and, you know, to that same degree, I think I would have the same, the same answer because when you're an artist, the work is never done. You know, when I was doing music, when I when I ended that part of my life, there was still so much to do, and I did so much. But I knew that I had to stop somewhere because if I would have finished, I just would have kept on going anyway. It never ends, you know. But now I'm getting back into music, so it's pretty cool. We got uh, we got some um, announcements to make for that uh, later on. I'm really really pleased. Some stuff that I never thought would ever happen with my music because. Mainly with my music, I worked on that just for me, um, as as a way to as a therapeutic kind of thing, and now uh, portions of that have been recognized. And I, I don't want to sound you know conceited or anything, but um, it's really cool to kind of see that coming to fruition in media because I never thought, I honestly never thought I would see my work in people's movies and stuff, and you know. Jake C. Young and shout out to Lauren Malloy too. Um, I think I just can't wait to see what how they're gonna interpretate um, what I've done in their projects. And, you know, it's, it's just, I, I I saw uh, I saw the, the the first draw on um, uh, Amazon Prime. Jake sent me an early preview of that, and to hear what they did with my score for that, absolutely just blew me away so everybody go check that out because it's a great work of art yield from lauren malloy comes out next month or this month actually on 24th or 28th something like that i haven't heard their soundtrack mix i i gave them a lot of stuff to use and apparently they used a lot of it so it's going to be just a big big enough maybe a more big uh, surprise for me than it will be for you because i have no idea what they're going to do with it um okay back to neil ross here number 10 
Um, are you working on anything lately that you would like to share about? So Neil writes, recently I did the announcing on the game show Presser Luck on ABC. It looks like it's coming back next year. Hope to work on it again. I'm the voice of Dr. K-V-A-S-I-R. Kavsir? In the game Rage 2. So everybody, be on the lookout for that. Um, Actually, I haven't seen the Presser Luck stuff, but I'm going to absolutely YouTube that when we finish recording today. And I'm going to check out the, the Rage 2 gameplay. Um, if I can, if, if there's some on YouTube, there should be, there should be, um, you know, Neil, man, you should call up Oculus, the Oculus team, you know, Rift, Quest, all that stuff, because they're doing some phenomenal stuff right now. I think you would be a godsend to them, you know, to work on some of their stuff. Uh, that stuff is just pushing the boundaries of uh, VR, you know, that stuff is is doing things for media right now, especially in the times we live in right now with all this corona, corona apocalypse. That um, I do think we're gonna see a lot more Oculus content and the VR movement, you know. So you can be somewhere else while being where you are, and it totally tricks your brain into thinking you're somewhere else. But on that, um, let's jump into some more crossovers. And thank you, Neil, uh, from the bottom of my heart. Once again, I really hope you like these set of episodes. And once again, I'm really sorry that it took so long to get this out. Uh, but we wanted to um, promote your works here in the in a right, proper way, you know. And the best way to do that was just to expand expand the series, uh, multiple mini series. So I can't wait to come back, and uh, I can't wait to come back, you know. Can't wait to come back and cover Neil more. Uh, more Neil Ross. Uh, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be really really wicked. Plus we're finally I had a schedule, and I never thought that would ever happen. But finally, 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 after years since like 2013, after years, 2020, we finally met all of our goals. To the point where I'm happy with all of them. You know, like to the point where I can say, okay, now we can start working on. Now we can start working on that Outer Limits stuff. You know, now we can... Now now you can get a meta mat verse. You know, now, you're, now we're going to explore things that we've always talked about exploring. Open all those vaults. All that knowledge coming out. So, all the deep dive. All the work, at, you know, that we've been putting together over the years. So, once again, thank you, Neil. And, uh... Let's get, let's get to the, uh, to the next one. All right, here we go. Special, terrifying, but terrifying shout out to our good friend Minty at Minty Comedic Arts. Uh, great guy, great, great, great guy. Um, today on on the Terrorcast, um, I saw this little excerpt on Minty show a, a long t uh, a, a long while back I think it was last year and um, it's, it's it was weird the timing of this like after I talked after uh, I started talking to Neil Ross to set up this little series here um, the special Neil Ross tribute series 
uh, crossover event. Um, looking through the files, I saw that he had both a, what would you call that, uh, cameo to, agree, uh, to a degree in both Gremlins and Explorers. Which is really cool cameos in both, you know, and how Minty um, pointed out to us. Um, very special thank you to him again. Um, that these two take place in the same universe. I was like, hey, that would make a great ACU episode. Um, however, we did decide to do a little bit something different for ACU, but, um, more of an alternate world version for ACU with. Uh, what would you call that? The um, Mortal Kombat series. Um, I thought this was really cool because, you know, it, this kind of deals with, you know, inter interstellar travel and the horror aspect that uh, TerraCast is known for. Um, and according to IMDb, it says here that Dick Miller was in this movie and Gremlins 1984, which his movie references through the newspaper... His co-pilot, uh, Mashish Taylor, I think is how you pronounce it, picks up after spotting the UFO, which reads Kingston Falls, Riot Still Unexplained, which is the town in which Gremlins takes place. Um, so it's just really cool because, you know, um, as you know, Neil Ross um, had a great cameo in Gremlins 2 and also in Explorers. So that's pretty cool. And I wonder if Neil actually knows about this so hopefully when neil sees what we're doing here uh today he's gonna um hopefully i can get some feedback from him and when we actually get to talk to him in the live action no pun intended version of having neil ross on the show um it's just something i would love to discuss with him because you know i love the meta stuff as you all know and um you know that's just really a cool part of history and I wonder, I really wonder if he was aware of that back then. Um, I, I kick myself now for not asking him in the original uh, November setup for this show. You know, it, I just kicked myself in the head a couple times because that was a question I should have asked him. Um, according to the rap, it says, here are a few explorers, Easter eggs, and pop culture references that Dante called. This is from their interview with Dante. A rose, um, he recalled a rosebud uh, sled referencing Orson Welles' 1941 Oscar-winning classics and Kane appears in the junkyard scene. Phoenix's line, there here is a reference to the 82 scary movie Poltergeist. The kids decide to name their spaceship Thunder Road after the Bruce Springsteen song. And in one scene, a helicopter play, a pilot, sorry, played by Mashak... Uh, Taylor, I wish I was pronouncing his name right. I'm sorry if I'm not, Mr. Taylor. Gets a copy of the Devana Country Gazette with a headline that reads, Kingston Falls Riot Still Unexplained, which references the location where the Gremlins wreaked havoc in his 1984 hit. Um, it also says here that the movie is littered with Easter eggs before those were a thing. You know, like, you know, Dante filled his movies with coded items, now known as Easter eggs, to keep himself amused. Gremlins was filled with them, but Explorers had a bunch too. So many that Dante can't remember them all. You know, 
I learned all of this from Mad Magazine. The director explains. Pretty stellar. Codename Shipwreck Sailor. File name Delgado Hector X. Serial number 9249254567. Primary military specialty Gunner's Mate. Secondary military specialty Machinist. Birthplace Chula Vista, California. Grade CPO. Shipwreck. Shipwreck, sorry. Grew up in a shadow of the Navy, specifically the shadow of the sprawling San Diego Navy Yards. He enlisted at the youngest possible age with his parents' permission and proceeded to serve with distinction in the Mekong Delta, where hand-to-hand -hand fighting with river pirates, smugglers, and insurgents was the order of the day. Put him Put in time at Gitmo and Yokosuna, Yokosuna, sorry, and was on hand at certain carrier um, initiated operations in the Middle East. Graduated Naval Gunnery School, Great Lakes qualified expert, M16, M14, Browning, 50 caliber, 20 millimeter, Oralkin AAAA gun. M1911A1 Shipwreck is your quintessential sailor. He can splice a line, fry powdered eggs in both in the tooth of Gale and eat them. Tall teller tales than a Senate Appropriations Committee and take a three day liberty in Thule, Greenland, and come back smiling. Sorry if my reading is a little chopped up here. Very small on the screen to read. Neil Ross's shipwreck, very well known. One of the coolest characters ever conceived, in my opinion. Uh, a real staple of the G.I. Joe franchise. Um, if you haven't already noticed, we're going into Balboa Unearthed territory here. Um, and we're going to kind of discover, or discuss I should say, the... Origin of Rocky and the G.I. Joes and both the retract, uh, retraction of Rocky and the G.I. Joes. Um, and what a cool concept. Like, could you imagine a, you know, shipwreck and Rocky adventure together? And it's pretty cool because, you know, Neil Ross was Rambo. So th this is pretty awesome. You could probably get him to also voice Rocky's character. So let's take a little look deeper into this. Um, into this uh, amazing oh, juice box of, um, of an adventure here. What could have been? What could have been if only there was not a retraction? Codename Rocky. Here's his file. File name Balboa Rocky. Primary milita military specialty, personal combat instructor. Secondary military specialty, serve, uh, special services. Birthplace, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Grade E5, enlisted reserves. How does a well-known boxing champion serve out in, in, on his... Let's try that again. How does a well-known boxing champion serve out his reserve time? Well, he can take the easy route. 
be a showpiece for special services, giving exhibition bouts and racking up brownie points for officers with no combat ribbons and shiny trouser buttons. Or he can take a secret position to train G.I. Joe team in the finer points of the sweet science of pugilism. Or pugilism? I think it's pugilism. Um, the assignment to the Joe team would be strictly under the counter. No special pay, no extra privileges, and no publicity. All he would get would be the satisfaction of doing something for his country, which you know Rocky would do. And I hope maybe we see kind of something like that in Rocky 7 mechs. Shout out to Brian Stews for uh, discovering that little mechs tagline. Um, excerpt of memo from Brigadier General uh, Abernathy, codenamed Hawk. He's one of the best there is with his fists, and nobody can touch him with pungel sticks. Pungel sticks. Pungy sticks? Pungel sticks. That's pretty cool because that kind of taps on the, the Rambo 3 a bit. Uh, but there's not the reason I want him... But that's not the reason I want him training the Joes. Anybody can teach technique. I want the Joes to see what it is to take a beating and come back fighting. To stand up and take everything the other guys got to give. And give back a full measure. That's worth more than a tip on how to perfect your right hook. Pretty cool, pretty cool. The retraction in the separate, uh, second um, issue, the, the 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 second leg issue of that um, of that uh, what do you call that? The card series. Um, the the retraction, unfortunately, has the memo that the character of Rocky Balboa, codenamed Rocky was incorrectly included as a member of G.I. Joe in the G.I. Joe Order of Battle issue number 2. On page 10, Rocky is not and has never been a member of G.I. Joe. Hmm. Hmm. I guess we'll have to look at that as Rocky was in secret service. But it's definitely something I think maybe Sly... You know how cool it would be right now if Sly came back and said, you know what? You know, Rocky was in the shadows in G.I. Joe. You know, secret missions. Maybe come back with a series of secret missions that Rocky was on with Shipwreck. Um, maybe cross it over with Rambo. Throw Rambo in there too. But we're going to go a little bit deeper here because there was a villain intended uh, to face off against Rocky. His codename was Big Boa. Kind of looks like a cross between Ivan Drago and Bane. You know, Balboa, you say? Anyway, file name unknown. Cobra Troopers can be an unruly bunch at times. They aren't motivated by patriotism, unit loyalty, honor, or sense of duty. It takes a brutal, unfeeling taskmaster to whip them into fighting trim, and Big Boa fits the bill to a T. He has a voice like a bullhorn, kind of like Bane. Fists and size of frozen turkeys. Fists the size of frozen turkeys. And the disposition of a rabid grizzly bear. Can you imagine getting hit in the face with a frozen turkey? Lights out! Anyway, 
Big Boa kicks open the Cobra barracks door at 0500 and makes everyone do the low crawl up the mountain while pushing a bowling ball with their noses. Then it's a 20 mile run through the bramble thickets. More push-ups than you know what? Oh, sorry, than you want to know about a two mile swim upstream. Damn. Damn. <laughs> the flak jacket with a flak jacket and helmet on. Imagine that. After breakfast, he starts on the hard stuff. Can you imagine, imagine like a double training montage, you know, with Big Boa fight, like training his guys and Rocky training his force, you know, maybe team up with the force of freedom. Rocky and Rambo in the force of freedom with a cup with shipwreck versus versus, you know, Big Boa and some Cobra commandos. Wow. Just a little something. Uh to think about. All right, here is a little teaser to something that we're going to be coming back with with our good friend Alex Esparza. We're going to be taking a deep dive into the individual episodes. He's going to he's going to be our guide, our spirit animal, and he's going to lead us through this series cuz only he's the only one who can get behind all the the, you know, multiple meanings of everything um, that we're going to talk about right now. But for now, we're just going to give you a little bit of a wiki taste, uh, the story, and a tiny bit of the backstory, a tiny bit of the overview. Um, and, you know, it. this is a nice fit for ACU, Alternate Cinematic Universe, because um, we like talking about, like, alternate alternate films, alternate worlds, alternate spin-offs in cinematic history. And no better way to do that than to launch, launch into an alternate realm. So, Neil um, actually, uh, sorry, Neil, um, Neil Ross was actually um, Shang Tsung and Motaro in three episodes of this 19... 96 series um okay so here we go mortal Kombat, and let i just you know warning in advance this is just a teaser because we're going to come back to this and i think you know what we're going to add the alex interview in the gabo interview into the next uh the next series the next mini series as well so it says here mortal Kombat: defenders of the realm known as mortal Kombat, the animated series outside of the u.s is an American animated series based on the popular Mortal Kombat video game series produced by Threshold Entertainment and Film Roman. It aired on the USA Network's Action Extreme Team Animation Block for one season of thirteen one season of thirteen episodes from September to December nineteen ninety six, back to back with those of the Street Fighter animated series. The show serves as a combination of an alternative sequel to the first Mortal Kombat film. And the events of Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. So that's just one of the reasons here I thought that that was a very, 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 uh, how should you say, very intriguing for ACO and both for TerraCast. You know, I had a, a hard time trying to decide which one I was going to use for which. Uh, when, especially when you see that, you know, when you compare it to the episode we did for TerraCast. Anyway, so it says here that the show was focusing on a group of warriors assembled by Raiden, uh, spelled Raiden, 
spelled R-A-Y-D-N, in the series to defend Earthrealm from invaders who enter through portals from various other dimensions. The assembled warriors include Liu Kang, Striker, Sonya Blade, Jack, Katana, and Sub-Zero, with Nightwolf functioning mostly as tech support, but still entering the fray on various occasions. The warriors operated out of a hidden base from where Nightwolf and Raiden um, monitored portal openings. The warriors would fly dragon-shaped jets to deal with disturbances. Shao Kahn was something of a arch-villain throughout the series, uh, despite appearing in only four of the series' 13 episodes, being responsible for allowing other realms to invade Earth. The characters in their background were mostly continuous. The movie and Threshold's representation of the series canon, though many original characters exclusive to the program were introduced and some elements of Mortal Kombat 3 were included. The episode plots themselves share little relation with that of any of the games, though the character designs are based on their MK3 and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 sprites. Except for Katana, whose design looks like a blend of her MK2 and her UMK3 looks. Kong Lao, Johnny Cage, Molina, Sindal Goro, and Kitantro, Kintaro, sorry, were not shown or referenced in the show at all, while characters based on Reptile, Bracket, and Jay were featured. The finale involved Katana leading a rebellion from the outworld against Khan. Whoa! Oh! That's a big Easter egg! Uh, that's a big teaser! The most notable aspect of the show was it provided the debut of Quan Chi, who would go on to become a major antagonist in the game series. So like I said before, when we come back to that a little later on, this is going to be cool because Alex is going to help to unearth all these things, all the scenes with Neil Ross um, included with his multiple characters. And at the same token, uh, we get to do a, a good deep dive because we're trusting. We're going through all the episodes. We're going all the way. It's going to be uh, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. And as you know, when me and Alex get together, you know, it's a good, it's a good full night. Last time me and Alex got together, we did the uh, the Expendables a podcast radio marathon, and it was a ten hour episode. So, you know, that just came out last month. If you want to go check that out, amazing with Mario Rio and uh, um, our one of our other best friends. On here, uh, two best friends, uh, Wild Mavion and John Machard. Uh, Zero Cool 1389. So, wow. Maybe we could get those guys in there too. You know, Mario's very versed in this stuff, and so is, uh, and so is, um, you know, Wild Man and John. So, I really, really, you know, oh, we should just do it now, you know? But space is limited here. But, you know, consider this a really good teaser because. When we come back, uh, it's going to blow your mind. Because I was looking through some of these notes, and I was just like, wow, there's so much here. You know, on cast and episodes and crossovers, home media receptions and, you know, all that other stuff. So with that token, let's move on. Uh, let's move on to some more Neil Ross. And let's just keep that action coming. You know, because that's no one, right? And no one is half the battle.
Welcome back to Studio Advance, Neil Ross crossover event on Madcast. Here we go, La Pièce Résistance, the Alt Stallone. Um, final chapter of the evening, all your questions answered here. Um, no infringement on any type of copyrights or nor registered trademark is intended or never will be. Uh, this is solely for educational purposes, as you've known, as you've heard a million times already. So let's just deep dive into it. Let's just get right to it, because this is a long one. Um, if you're just tuning in now, go back and watch the other episodes in this series, uh, Neil, uh, Matt Cass, Neil Ross series, um, to get the questions that you will find the answers for starting now. So here we go. And we're throwing in some extra pages here. Neil told us, told us uh, as you may remember, to go back to pages 364 to 380, but we're going to go a little earlier and a little farther in the book. Um, you know, this book is fantastic and fantastic, fantastic, fantastic book. Um, it's my hopes that you will listen to this uh, little over a chapter and then uh, go seek this book out for yourself. Get the audio book too, read by Neil Ross. It's you know probably the best way to hear it. I know uh, tonight I'm going to be grabbing that audio book too. Uh, I purchased the book, and then Neil Ross actually sent me a copy of the book also. So thank you, Neil Ross. Um, you know, like over 500 pages of just solid, solid gold. So we will be coming back um, in a separate series later on. We're going to tie in a little prequel series where we recast all the uh, Force of Freedom stuff that we did for Rambo Mania back in, I think it was 2014 in Season 2, or the second leg of Season 2, second volume also of Season 2. So, um, yeah, and we're going to have some awesome, awesome more stuff when we continue later on down the line. Some of those questions that didn't get answered... Um, in episode two of the series will be answered later on down the line because we're gonna like grab all that from the book and it's a fascinating fascinating deep dive into the life and mind of Neil Ross and the career and it's solid gold um, and at the same time we're gonna have Alex Esparza Gabo Esparza Ryu Kang here with us to to look through the entire Mortal Kombat a series that Neil was a part of to get a deeper uh, sense of his scenes in the show step by step all the way through the entire Mortal Kombat series which also served as a semi-sequel to the first Mortal Kombat film in between the first film and the second film so this is going to be fantastic um, I just can't wait can't wait to get on that uh, you'll probably see some of these things uh, dropping earlier than you would expect because now uh, we finally reached this milestone goal of how should you say um, getting to where we have been fighting to get to um, with the show so or with you know all the shows so we're gonna be unveiling um, all of next year stuff that we were only gonna start next year we're gonna start that early we're gonna start it six months early starting next week seven months early so anyway enough about that please enjoy this um 
yeah, this this episode of Alt Stallone will be appearing in the second annual. You know, um, which is a, a little a little bit of a little bit of a a leak here, but we were you know instead of giving you one annual like one year of Alt Stallone, we're gonna drop three years. Of Alt Stallone, but first you're gonna get the the first year, and then we're gonna come back to a prequel year and the sequel year. Um, but yeah, we got tons of time to talk about that later. So here we go, page three hundred sixty-four. We did thirteen <clears throat> uh, visionaries, and the show wasn't picked up. We heard it was that it was because the toys didn't sell. That was the frustrating thing. You could act your ass off. But if the toys tanked, then you were toast. I recall being cast in a show that was going to record 65 episodes. On the way to the first recording session, I actually saw billboards for the toys looming over the freeways. Uh, I must have been, I must have seen four or five of them before I got to the studio. Boy, this looks like a slam dunk, I thought to myself. We haven't even recorded a word, and they have billboards up. I've never experienced anything like that before or since. When I got to the session, when I got to session, sorry, the director sat us down and announced that instead of 65 episodes, we were only doing five. Apparently, the toys had premiered at Toy Fair, an annual trade show, and they had bombs. That, uh, that was that, I guess. The problems were obligated to produce the five shows. We recorded them, they aired, and it was over. We were dead before we even started because of the toys. So despite wonderful casts, including Roscoe Peter, Chris Ladder, Jonathan Harris, a new up-and-comer named Jim Cummings, and many others, Visionaries died. I do hear from a surprising number of fans who remember Visionaries despite its all-too-brief run. So I guess we did our part. I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry when any show dies, but this one was particularly painful. Still, I got to know Roscoe. My wife and I had dinner with him on a couple of occasions, and he graced our humble Manhattan beach home a time or two, and it was magical. I said it about the radio phase of my career, and it was even truer of the voiceovers. Aside from the joy the work provided, it was the really amazing people I got to meet and know that really made it such a pleasure and a privilege. Roscoe went on to be the narrator in the movie Babe and the evil kingpin character in the mid-90s animated Spider-Man series. Along with many on-camera roles and stage appearances, he passed away in 2007. A career-changing event that happened for me in late 1985, Donna was approached by T.J. Escott, the E in C.E.D., to join his agency. She was really torn. CED was one of the top agencies in town, but it would mean <clears throat> she would have to go back to being a part of an organization rather than running her own little show at DLD. She asked me what I thought, and I told her that um, she would have to make the decision on her own. The last thing I wanted to do was influence her to make a decision she would come to regret, but I was secretly hoping she'd make the move. For quite some time now, I had been finding myself working on projects in which I was the only talent represented by a second-tier agency. Sometimes my fellow cast members 
would ask who my agent was. And when I told them I was with the DLD, they'd say they'd never heard of it and that I should be with a better agency. Yeah, those agencies, huh? So, some even offered to introduce me to their agents. This was really generous of them, and I appreciated it. I always politely declined. Donna had worked her heart out for me, and the thought of dumping her now that I was having some success, largely due to her hard work, seemed like a really rotten thing to do. That really touches my heart, man. That really touches my heart. I know exactly how you feel on that. Um, yeah. Trust me, I do. Um, but as time went by, it became harder and harder not to think about all the major opportunities I was missing out on by not being with a larger agency. When CAED approached Donna, it looked like it might be a way for me to eat my cake and have it too. I was delighted when she decided to accept the offer. <clears throat> Page 366. Now, instead of going to the little office in the non-script building on Kohanga West in Studio City. Hope hope I um hope I pronounce that right. The new destination would be Robertson Boulevard in Beverly Hills, just up the street from Jane Fonda's workout. No pain, no gain. We were all in for a bit of a workout. It was sink or swim time. As part of the DLCED agreed to sign all of Donna's clients, she wouldn't have accepted anything less. She was loyal to her people. God bless that Donna. Um but we were only signed for a year. If we didn't book, we would be gone. Unfortunately for me, uh, fortunately for me, sorry, my career jumped into high gear at this point, so I didn't have to worry about it. I have been with CED, now CESD, for over 30 years as of this writing. That really touches my heart, man. That really touches my heart. Because a lot of times you work on things. A lot of times you work on tons of work for things. I mean tons, like absolutely tons you do tons of free work or you do tons and tons of labor of love and then the people involved just turn around and slap you in the face it's happened to me a couple of times and a couple of times you know it happened and i gotta say uh one time in particular one time in particular it was a really big slap in the face uh, but that's a story for another day trust me not a you know not one I want to bring up in this great episode. So, chapter it, that's you know in the past that's behind me. Uh, chapter <laughs> chapter thirty six, uh, Centurions Rambo Rock and Wrestling. So here we go, baby. As I look at my appointment books for the mid eighties, it reminds me of just how many shows I was working on simultaneously in those days. It got to the point where I, that I had to invest in a small portable cassette recorder, which I kept in the car. Whenever I bagged a new character, I'd ask to make recording of the reference. And usually, sorry, usually the audio, uh, the audition, which got me the job in the first place. And then I'd listen to it in the parking lot just before going into each session. I love that because I used to do that with music. Like I, you know, like I, you work on stuff, and then you, you work on it, work on it, work on it. And you get to that point where you can't really decide. You know, it's cloudy. And you listen to it the next day when you're going back in the studio, and it, you know, you're like, wow. That was way better than I expected. Um, and it fires you up. It fires you up to do a, a great job the next time around. You're learning lessons here today, people. All right. Uh, and then I'd listen to it in the parking lot just before going on to each session. I was doing so 
I was doing so damn many characters. I need to refresh my memory. In the fall of 1985, I became a regular cast member in three more shows. The first was called Centurions. It proved to be a bit of a problem for Pat Farley and me. I seem to remember the first meeting Pat at a Hanna-Barbera session. I can't recall the show. I just remember being aware of this tall, low-headed fellow who was very funny and talented. We worked together here and there and logged a lot of time in the green room. Pat was impre uh, improvised. Pat has improvised some hilarious bits over the years. My hands-down favorite is his description of how many actors analyze a script. Now let's see. Bullshit, bullshit, my line, bullshit, bullshit, my line. That's only a slight exaggeration. Trust me. Anyway, I went in to read for Centurions, and in those days, you were often dealing with people who would make the casting decisions or people pretty close to them. Most of us would audition with one eye on the script and the other on the control room, trying to analyze the body language. I know uh, I, bleh, I know I once swore I wouldn't do this, but in animation work in those days, it didn't seem to help. Basically, you'd throw a whole lot of voice against the wall and hope something stuck. It was extreme vocal Mr. Potato Head. That brings me back to something Mr. Patrick Stack had said about what we do, you know, what I do, what he does, and what other people do. Um, Patrick Stack, Lieutenant Clinton Morgan, will be uh, with us on this show of Alt Stallone um, probably this season to talk about a unearthed, lost Clinton Morgan scene never before seen. He didn't even see it, and he even chimed in to talk about it. We're going to go through the whole scene in its entirety, and we're going to have Pat Stack with us in spirit. So, that's coming up. Uh, here we go. Uh, where was I? Yeah. Sometimes you'd surprise yourself. You'd start doing a voice and you'd find yourself wondering, what am I doing? Where the hell did that come from? Sometimes you figure it out. Sometimes you wouldn't. It might take several hours or even days. But suddenly you realize that you've been doing a knock of a, off of, of uh, the voice of a character or actor you had seen in an old movie on TV. Or some guy you heard on the radio years ago. So, I'm reading for the part of Ace McCloud and Centurions, and I stumble into a voice that the people running the audition seem to love. That's it. That's it. Let's go over that tape. Let's get that one on tape. Sorry. So I lay down a couple of takes in that voice. Everyone's happy, and I and I leave. But as I'm walking through the parking lot, I'm thinking, I've heard that voice somewhere before, but where? It really starts to bug me, and a day or so later, the answer pops into my head. It's a voice I heard Fraley uh, do. Not that surprising, really. Pat and I have a similar vocal range. Not tenors, really. Not full uh, baritones, either. We're somewhere in between. But that, as it may, I realize that I have without him intending to just rip Pat off. I run into him a day later and confess what happened. And he tells me that he has also read for Centurions for a different character. And he used basically that same voice. That's cool. <laughs> Page 369. Um, I just want to throw out there that I'm reading this on my cell phone. So it's really tiny. So uh, please bear with me if I, you know, sound horrible. Well, the die is cast. The auditions have been submitted. 
what the heck, they're probably pick, they'll probably pick some other guys anyway. No point getting our knickers in a twist. A week later, Donna calls. I bagged one of the lead roles in Centurions. When I show up to record the first episode, guess who is the, in the green room? Pat is, of course. Was that Centurions, the one with the glove? You know it had like the, the act, the, those tall ass action figures, a little bit taller than the Force of Freedom action figures, but it had those, the glove with the, uh, with the, uh, not anamorphic, but like with the, with the creatures on the glove, kind of like spidery, and had all that fluff on the, I had a couple of those, those were fucking, tri oh, sorry, those were trippy, uh, excuse my language there, uh, I gotta remember to go back and bleep that out, um, those were really, really cool. I remember, uh, I think they were Centurions. I really liked those. I really, I, I played with that. I played with that toy a lot. Let, let me tell you, that Centurion rode that spidery insect creature and they attacked the Rambo and the rest of the Force of Freedom and Savage many, many times. Many Ratchet Savage moments on that one. Um, all right. Let's see. Where was I? When I show up, okay, I bet I bagged one of the lead roles in Centurions. When I show up to record the first episode, guess who is in the green room? Pat is, of course. Awesomeness. We look at each other and roll our eyes. We don't exactly look like two actors who just booked a 65-episode series. In fact, we look like a couple of guys awaiting execution. <laughs> we immediately start whistling on our way through the graveyard. And you know, I had that whole set. You know, with the tower, the tower set, everything. My mom was like the best mom in the world she she took me down to consumers remember consumers she took me to consumers at the desk and ordered the whole freaking catalog for my birthday because my birthday falls right after christmas right so like um i would never i would always get like what you know like the one big gift of the year you know it would i wouldn't get birthday and christmas gifts it would i would just get usually one gift but uh Apart from a couple of those action figures, you know, like the bare-chested Rambo one and the the one with the like the 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 white shirt Force of Freedom uh, lead uh, action figure, um, getting those at Greenberg's, uh, I remember that was the best. That was the best year ever, man. She got me the whole set, and magic, magic, man, magic, magic. Everybody attacked that set. Everybody, Cornell was over. I had GI Joe's in there, going through there. Centurion, Rambo and the Force of Freedom, He-Man, Orko, you know, I pulled a little string on Orko, a little plastic string, you know, like flipping around in there. Man, this is bringing back memories, man. This is awesome. Thank you, Neil. All right, okay, we got still got a ways to go, so let's get into it here. Um, yeah, yeah, we immediately started whistling our way through the graveyard. We both did several vo uh, voices at a rest respective auditions they probably picked one of those other approaches there's no way they'd pick the identical voice for two uh, different characters right except of course they did we get in the studio they play the refer uh, the reference recording same voice and uh, now that we are now what are we going to do at pat's suggestion we fall back on time honor technique, harking back to the golden age of radio. Maybe even further, Pat suggests that I pitch my voice up and he'll go low. If we had it if we had it to do over again, 
I would have suggested that Pack go for a higher pitch. I think it's easier for him. But the decision's been made, so off we go. I just want to throw out one more shout-out to my mom since we were talking about Rocky earlier. Uh, you know, that's I, I, it came up the other day. Um, you know what your favorite Rocky movies were? And mine are two and five, right? And uh, I just remember my mom was really sick when she had me. She had a lot of bad heart problems. She got diabetes, and and um, I really miss her a lot. I really miss her a lot. She passed away when I was when I was fifteen, but for the whole year before that, when I was fourteen, she was really sick, and I had to get sent away to my sister's house, and it was far away. And then later on, I changed schools and everything. And uh, thank you to to Centennial Regional for letting me finish out that year. But um, yeah, one of my fondest memories of of her is. Besides the the Rambo one, but I gotta say my my favorite Rocky memory of my mom was, um, she took me to see uh, Rocky Five on opening, the opening of Rocky Five, and for my mom to go anywhere, she was really really sick, so she couldn't do it, you know. But she brought me, and it was amazing. And my mom had this thing of whenever she felt sick during a movie, she would. I was really young, you know, I was like ten, eleven years old or something like that, and she would say, "Oh, you know, we saw this one already." We saw it already, and it take me home. I guess thinking, you know, of that age-old thing where movies would, you know, before video cassette, they would replay in the theaters so people would see them again. Maybe she tried to trick me with that, like it happened with Adam's Family Values. You know, she thought it was the first Adam's Family or tried to convince me it was the first Adam's Family to leave. But Rocky Five was, I think, the only movie I saw with my mom where she really stayed stayed with me to watch it and that was such a big that movie was i think my favorite probably my favorite stallone experience in theater of all time and uh she really loves stallone too so i don't know she would buy me all this weird all these uh photos like uh what do you call that those uh signature photos you know where you can where you send away to to uh to get signatures on photos from the stars and they send it to you. You never know if they're real or not, but she would do that stuff for me. We lost all that in the fire, all my action, but everything like that when I was a kid. But, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Let's stick to the, let's stick to the piece here. I just thought I would send that out because I can usually never get through that story without tearing up or crying. And trust me, I've tried in the past. Oh, <sighs> Okay. So we let the, the director in on what we were doing, and for the first few episodes, everyone is very conscious of the situation. And every time I do a line, they all scream higher, higher. Eventually, I point out that if I go any higher, I'll be getting offers from the Vienna Boys Choir. Finally, as is usually the case, we get above five episodes in, and everybody calms down. As if it never happened. 370. Centurions are a team of men dressed in specially created exo frames that allow them to fuse with incredible assault weapon systems. When we do this, we shout out the words Power Extreme. Once suited, equipped, we go into battle against the evil genius Doc Terror and his equally evil sidekick Hacker. There are three Centurions Ace McCloud, ha um, Ace McCloud, played by yours truly, Max Ray, played by Pat and Jake Rockwell, who will be played by Vince Edwards as an on-camera actor making his animation debut. 
Vince Edwards uh, was probably best known for his five-year run on network television in Ben Casey, the story of an intense and idealistic young surgeon. Vince played his title role. The show opened on Ben Casey and was very dramatic as a hand holding a piece of chalk jaws and appropriate symbols on the blackboard. Sam Jaffe, who plays Ben Casey's mentor, the kindly old Dr. Zorba, intones uh, men, women, birth, life, death, infinity. Smash cut to a gunnery being wheeled urgently, a gurney, a gurney, a gurney, sorry, being, er, being wheeled urgently down a hospital corridor. Title card, theme, music, music up, and away we go. When Vince showed up for the first session, Pat walks over to him and says, Hey Vince, how about this? Birth, life, death, infinity, cartoons. Cartoons! I held my breath. Vince didn't do anything for a long moment, and went, and then he, he broke into a smile and laughed. I breathed a sigh of relief. Vince didn't attend some of the recording sessions. He would send a word that he had something else to do and request to have his lines picked up another time. Nobody knew what he was actually up to uh, when they were recording, but gradually a rumor started going around that he was at the track, like Polly. <laughs> Polly and Rocky Three. that could have been my childhood too, getting dragged to the track. Mm. Uh, maybe, you know, rest in peace, parents. I love them. But uh, I have no idea if this was the case or not, but many a session would begin here with someone asking if Vince would be there and when he answered uh, when the answer was no someone would say i guess he's running <laughs> at santa anita eventually two more centurions were added to the cast played by michael bell and the, and the irrepressible voice actor bob rigby riggedy when riggedy arrived for the first session he was carrying a brown paper bag he asked if vince would be there and when he was told that he wouldn't, Bob said, that was a shame because he had brought a present for Vince. Something to drink at the track, I guess. <laughs> so he opened the bag and inside there were horse to Oh, no, damn. Probably not the best thing to drink at the track. Uh, he opened the bag and inside were horse droppings that Bob had picked up at a stable where his wife liked to go riding. I was going to tell him it's a new novelty game, said Bob, called almost at a track. <laughs> um, the character of Doc Terror was voiced by Ron Feinberg, a gentle giant who stood 6'8", which made him exactly a foot taller than yours truly. If he was headed north, Ron's nose looked as if, though it was um, heading east. He usually got cast as sinister villain types, but he was really a sweet and very principled man. Centurions was recorded at Studio B and B, a corner of Hollywood Way and Magnolia in Burbank, a short distance from Wally Burr North and South. <clears throat> On occasion, I would show up. Uh, I showed up for a session, and I was almost an hour early. This happens sometimes. LA traffic is usually horrendous, and I've always tried to allow for tie-ups. I know uh, what these studios cost on an hourly basis. And the last thing I want to do is show up late, inconvenience everybody, and cause them needless experience. Needless expense, sorry. I know that too. You know, being in music and like you book a studio, you show up, and then no one else shows up, or only two people show up, or the part you need to be done doesn't get done. Then you have to do it for them. Then they get mad at you. You know, you know how the circle goes. 
they cost a fortune. That's why, you know, that's why we, growing up, we all bought our own equipment and did it in our own houses, you know. Otherwise, you're throwing money out the window if, if you're not 100% everybody in. It's rare, but every now and then, for no apparent reason, there's suddenly no traffic and you can just fly. Next thing you know, you're parking your car and you're way too early and you've got to fill in the time. I decided to do the old cardiovascular system assault and walk and then, uh, and take a walk. Just then, Ron rolls up. He's super early too and says he'll walk with me. So off we go. Mutt and Jeff taking a stroll around Burbank. I should mention that Ron was really tenacious about pursuing residuals, the money that gets paid when the shows are rerun. Sometimes producers are a bit slow making the payments. Sometimes they don't make payments at all. And it's hard for actors to keep track with uh, what's running and what they're owed. Ron was really good at this, not just because he wanted the money, you understand, but Ron liked money as much as the next person, but he was more concerned with the principle of the thing, that what's right is right. These people agreed to pay. They should do it in timely fashion. So we're walking and talking, and Ron begins to tell me about a show he recorded a couple of years ago and how residuals aren't being paid and how he's complaining to SAG about it and how they finally got the producers to pay. <clears throat> Page 372. SAG is submitting the paperwork at the end of the week, says Ron with a baker, and I have to admit that I was only half listening. My mind was wandering on for some reason. Then suddenly it hit me. I stopped dead on the sidewalk and turned to Ron. I think I did the bumpers on that show. No, I'm positive I did them. Bumpers are those voice tracks that lead in and out of segments of a show. They don't seem to use them much these days, but in the 80s, they were ubiquitous. You know, nowadays it's a little bit cool that you got the IMDB website and everything else, so you can track that stuff. But back then, imagine that. Imagine what they could get away with back then. So, that goes to show, man. Show business. These days, it was a lot harder back then, you know. The real, that's where you test your metal was back in the day. I find it today that, you know, actors have it a lot easier. You know, people in general do. Anyway, um... Yeah, where were we? Okay, going into a commercial break, the announcer said something like, the Foof Dicks will be back after these messages. And then, when the commercials are over, the announcer says, and now back to the Foof Nicks. And the show continues. By the way, I just love the Foof Nicks, don't you? <laughs> well, I had done the bumpers on that show in question. Uh, the reason it took me so long to realize it was that while Ron had shown up and done 65 episodes of the thing, I had recorded the bumpers in about half an hour over two years previously. An easy to forget, an easy thing to forget. But what I, what I had recorded had been put in all 65 episodes. I was entitled to the same amount as Ron and the other actors were, but I was entitled to something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, especially if it's in every single episode, you know. Airtime is airtime. Radio time is radio time. Screen time is screen time. Okay, so Ron asked me if I still had my contract. And I told him I was pretty sure I did, thanks to Donna. She had a bad experience 
with an actor who didn't save his paperwork and it cost them both a lot of money. So she always drilled into me the importance of saving my contracts. Ron gave me the name and number of the woman at SAG who was handling the claim. We walked back to B&B and did the session. When I got home that evening, I dug through my files and found the contract. The next morning, I called the woman at SAG. It's a good thing you called, she said. I don't have any record of you working on this show. Do you have your contract? I, sh I assured her that I did and delivered her to her in person later that day. That's a great thing to do, too. Don't trust the mail. Never trust the mail. Unless you know it's on the other side of the earth. Uh, she submitted the claim, and after a few weeks, checks started to arrive. Awesome. So I guess the show did pretty well in syndication because checks continue to arrive from time to time for a number of years. Because of the unusual situation, I decided to keep track of the payments. I stopped after the amount hit $10,000. Uh, by then, the checks were just a few cents away. Uh, just a few cents anyway. But that's 10000 I would have never seen if Rod hadn't shown up early and decided to take a walk with me. That's the story I call the $10,000 walk. That's an awesome, awesome story, my friend. That's an awesome story. A couple of months after, that sounds like a good uh, short film, the $10,000 walk. Um, a couple of months after we started recording Centurions, I got a call. In to audition for the title role in the animated version of Rambo. In the book and later the movie First Blood, the fictional John Rambo portrayed by Sylvester Stallone is described as a troubled Vietnam veteran who served in, in an elite U.S. Army Special Forces unit. <clears throat> Here we go, baby. Here we go. Um, Back in the States, he runs afoul of a small-town sheriff. The sheriff keeps escalating the situation, little realizing how skilled Rambo is in the guerrilla tactics. And he pays a price for his arrogance. By the end of the film, he has destroyed most of the town, and the sheriff is gravely wounded. Uh, so I just want to say, let's dedicate this one to... Uh, my mom, and let's dedicate this one to Brian Dennehy, because she loved her Brian Dennehy too, you know, Fist, and and a, a couple other greats, you know, a couple other great Brian Dennehy pieces. You should see him in me Meeting Monica Velour is really good too. Um, but yeah, uh, rest in peace, Teasel Man. Um, we'll never see, we'll never see something that great again. Oh, uh, I don't know if I told that story that was on the projection booth. I think I told it a couple episodes ago where they he watched all his friends die in a battle and then they dropped them. They dropped them back. Not even home. They dropped them in like um, San Francisco or something like that. And it took him all night to realize where he was after. Uh, you can catch that. If, if you happen to be watching this on... The Rambo Manium box set that's coming out later on this year in October uh, when we round up all the Rambo uh, contacts, like all the Rambo um, star interviews that we're doing. Uh, this would include 
uh, you'll hear Ted Kotcheff on there talking about uh, when we went to see Ted Kotcheff. I, I, I asked him about the, the Rambo origin story, but they never got around to it. But it's weird because you see parts of that in Rambo 5 uh, if you pay really close attention. But he was telling me this uh, crazy story about how they just dumped Brian like down the street. It took him like all night into the next day to realize that he was back. He was lost, fighting ghosts in his mind in the street. Um, please go back and watch that episode. That's uh, a one in a million to a one in a million to get to sit next. Okay, not sit next to, but I was. We walked in, and we were gonna sit down, and there was two seats open next to like they had these papers on two seats, and then there was two seats, and then there was one seat taken, and then the next seat was open, but we were three. So they were like, let's go over near the podium. That way we can ask questions when the Q&A starts up. Um, so I, we go over and sit there. And then when Ted comes in, he sits down in the seat that I was going to sit next to. But we ended up watching First Blood, the 4K restoration together anyway. It was fascinating. One of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Um really interactive crowd when troutman showed up i clapped everyone clapped it was amazing you have great symbiosis in the audience or like when the gas station blew up i yelled out blow the shit out of it part of my language and everybody went crazy people were yelling stuff at the screen everybody was going nuts um yeah montreal man represent ted kotcheff montrealer yeah canadian filmmaker montrealer home team directed my favorite movie of all time. Anyway. Uh, let's get back to it here. <clears throat> the movie was so successful that it led to a number of sequels. The first of which, Rambo First Blood Part 2, had just been released. Earning twice the box office receipts of the first film, Rambo was on a roll. When I showed up to read the, for the part of Rambo, the first thing they said was they didn't want a Sylvester Stallone sound alike. Which is a good way to go. Good way to go because it opens up that multiverse, you know, that multiverse quality. I would really like to see Chris Pratt get his way and uh, do a live action Force of Freedom. I would also like to see Mickey Cardoni in a, a Rambo prequel or even a, a Force of Freedom uh, anime sequel. Or like, or like a radio drama. Maybe we can cook that up. Um... I assured them that nothing was further from my mind. And then, as a gag, I started reading the lines, doing what I thought was a pretty good impression of Stallone. They didn't laugh. They didn't like it. That's good. That's good. Let's get that on tape. I wondered if now they were putting me on. I thought you didn't want Stallone voice, I said to them. That doesn't sound like Stallone, they replied. Of course it doesn't. I agreed. I'm no dummy. I tried a couple of other approaches, thanked everyone, and left. The next thing I hear is that they casted someone else. When we get uh, Mr. Ross into the studio, I'm going to ask him to do his Stallone impression, and I'm going to ask him to do the other interpretations of Rambo that he had brought to that audition. Because I think that's something we all need to hear. Um... Okay, so next thing I hear is that they were going to cast someone else. A couple of weeks later, I hear that the person has decided not to participate. Next thing I hear is that I'm 
book to play Rambo. I wondered which of the voice actors I had auditioned, oh sorry, which of the voices I had auditioned would be the one they wanted me to use. I like the one that he used, uh, the one that they, they used in the series. At the first session, they played the winning audition. It was the voice that didn't sound like Stallone. Once again, what, once again, once again, I'd won an audition with a failed impression. <clears throat> Rambo, The Force of Freedom, as the show was officially known, was not without any controversy, or not without controversy. How do you base a children's show on a troubled Vietnam vet with PTSD? In the end, all references to the Vietnam POWs and PTSD were eliminated, and the animated Rambo became almost laughably non-violent. Um, we were going to try to do Cobra and Force of Freedom and Rambo, uh, all the films for um, Movies by Minutes podcast. Um, we we're actually going to go uh, Cobra or Rambo, Cobra, the sequel to Cobra, and Force of Freedom. Um, I don't know what the stasis of that is, but I do have uh, Oculus Quest ready to go for like uh, virtual reality reviews or headset reviews for Force of Freedom, the entire series. So maybe we'll add that in with some of the next Neil Ross stuff and we'll go over a review of all of Neil's episodes. I think that would be a really, really good idea um, in virtual reality. So if you have the quest, you can follow on along in virtuality with us. And if you don't have the quest, you can listen to us, review it live from the headset. We're also good. We have Brenda Strain, Teasel's secretary coming in soon. And we're doing, not only are we doing that episode, but we're doing it in virtual reality, uh, a, a version of it in virtual reality, the video version, where we will be in hope on the set of First Blood where she filmed her scenes. And we're going to talk about maybe what was left out, all that other stuff. So that's going to be something um, I really think you should check out. If you've, if you've seen some of our other Oculus Quest series, uh, on Facebook, I believe, you could see a lot of hope. We actually walked around hope uh, with the headset and did a whole bunch of things. So please be on the lookout for that. Um, all right. So he actually spent more screen time negotiating than fighting using violence only as a last resort. Despite this, the show still caught a fair amount of flack, mostly from people who had never actually watched it. I tuned in one evening to watch Siskel and Ebert's At The Movie Show, which featured reviews of upcoming movies, including their popular thumbs up, thumbs down um, evaluation. That was a tongue twister. The show was chugged along when they was chugging along when they suddenly took a tangent and started to rant about a Rambo Force, about Rambo Force, the force of freedom. I couldn't believe it. This was a show about movies, but here they were. Um, E-X-O-R-I-A-T-I-N-G -E -E A television show um, one that neither of them had actually seen they freely admitted the show uh, this during their diatribe but they didn't need to see it somehow 
they just knew it was bad for kids. They even badmouthed Sylvester Stallone, who had no involvement with the show at all. Um, hasn't he made enough money? One of them snarled sarcastically. I don't know if anyone ever set them straight about any of this. That's true. That's true. I heard he lost a lot of money from Rocky and, and Rambo also. So, uh, yeah. I thought this show was pretty good. I remember watching it as a kid. I thought it was a great show. You know, but that's just me. People Magazine was kinder. In their November 24th, 1986 issue with Carol Burnett on the cover, they reviewed, uh, reviewed Rambo The Rescue, a video release using episodes from the series. My dad actually um, got me into that series. When I would go visit my dad in Sutton, uh, they had a little video star, and they had, like, that cassette with the uh, first couple episodes, like a mini-movie of the Rambo. And I would just rent it every time I went there and watch it over and over and over. Um, Montreal didn't get a lot of the Rambo run, but we got a little bit of it, so a lot of it was rerun. Um, and that's another reason why I volunteered to do uh, reviews of all the episodes. So look for those because they're not only going to be reviews of the episodes, but they're going to be reaction live as they as they roll. So I think uh, we're going to have a really good time. Really, really, really good time. I haven't done reaction video in a long time. We did a bunch of them for Rambo 5. And my dad passed away the same day that Rambo 5. My dad passed out while passed away, sorry, while I was actually on my way to see the movie. Um, and he told me not to come down there. because uh, everything everything was crazy over there. So I had to they ended up sending um him here. So we got to spend time with him, uh, alone with him a little bit. Uh, before his cremation um yeah yeah so i i ended up putting all those reaction rambo 5 stuff all the media all the lead up to the movie i i, I ended up putting it in the can um who knows maybe it will see the light of day but you know till then if you want to see great stallone reaction go back and watch season one of Stallone reaction. We're actually going to be bringing back that series, but we're going to be doing an Oculus Quest series where we go and look at um, other great reactions to other great Stallone things. And we picked a lot of really good ones. We picked a lot, a lot, a lot of really good ones. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll make a special edition box set of, of um, the canned stuff. Uh, it just hit a little too close to home, and every time I kind of think that, it's it's hard, you know. It's hard. So anyway, um, eh, wait a second here. There we Okay, the People Magazine was kinder than their November twenty fourth, nineteen eighty six issue with Carol Burnett on the cover. They reviewed Randall the Rescue a video release of episodes from the series. They acknowledged that the animated Rambo was not quite so graphically violent. They went on to say that. While this tape is a hundred minutes of relentless skirmishes, nobody really gets hurt. Which is something I like, you know. Like, if they would have done a Rambo 4 back in the 90s, like how they wanted to do Rambo and Viro, um, I think that would have been a cool PG-13 Rambo where Rambo doesn't kill anybody, just like the first one. You know, and maybe that would have 
brought Rambo to a new tier of audience. But you know how it goes, right? So they also know that Rambo's direction is better. Is better. Blah. Dick. Oh, sorry, I'm really tongue-tied today. This is really small. They also know that Rambo's uh, addiction is better. Actor Neil Ross, not Stallone, does the voiceover. One of the engineers at LA Studios happened to read this and began to refer me as actor Neil Ross. I walked, I walk into the lobby and spotting me, he would loudly proclaim, look everybody, it's actor Neil Ross. I tried to look appropriately modest. The show had a great cast. James Avery. Rest in peace, James Avery. The great James Avery. Um, Mona Marshall, who I had a crush on for years. Me, not, not him. Alan Oppenheimer. Man, how far can you go with Alan Oppenheimer? How? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We'll save him for another episode. Peter Cullen, the great Peter Cullen. Michael S. and Sarah, Nenny Weinrib, and Frank Welk. Frank Home oh Slimer? Damn, he is really in every show. Yes, he is. I remembered watching Michael and Sarah as the Native American chief coaches in Broken Arrow on television, but I was more impressed by the fact that he had once been married to Barbara Eden of Igene of Dreamy. I dream of Genie fame. Yeah, I think we all dreamed of Genie when we were when we were watching that on TV. Um, that was such a cool show, man. And like, having, you know, when you would see Inside the Bottle, and she was just so that role was just so awesome. Even you know, another show I liked like that too was Bewitched. That was so great. And that little animated intro to Bewitched. Oh my god. While polite, while polite, Michael seemed reserved and kept pretty much to himself. If people seemed to want to be left alone in an acting situation, I assumed they need to concentrate. And I tried to give them that space, so I had no deep decisions with Mr. Ansara about Barbara Eden or anything else. I worked with James Avery on both Rambo and Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. This was before he rocked into the fame in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I should also note that if you don't know him, he was also... Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the tube because he was African-American. Sometimes people would start to talk to try ghetto to him. He would have none of it. Standing at six foot five, he would stare down the speaker in mock indignation and shout, Excuse me? Excuse me. I don't understand that kind of talk. I'm from New Jersey. That usually put a stop to the nonsense. <clears throat> Um, oh, sorry, here we go. Page 378. When we worked on Rock and Wrestling, uh, Pat Fraley pointed out something I hadn't noticed. James always worked barefoot. He'd come into the studio and remove his shoes and socks and be barefoot on the carpeting. Whenever, uh, whatever it takes, I guess. Michael Hack, who was directing Centurions, directed Rambo as well. He had a great sense of humor especially when it came to his rather uh, unfortunate last name, Hack. Unfortunately, at least for someone in his line of work, he used to say, look on the bright side. Whenever somebody calls the director's guild looking for a hack director, guess who gets the job? I always 
enjoyed working with Michael. He was friendly and supportive, and he stayed off the button and just let us act, something I especially appreciated when a young actress named Dana Hill came in to do a guest appearance. Dana had... Dana Hill had knocked my socks off in the early 80s in a couple of films. One was Shoot the Moon, in which Shoot the Moon, in which she appeared with uh, Diane Keaton and Albert Finney, and the other was Cross Creek with Mary Steenburgen. and oh the great Mary Steenburgen. and Rip Torn. Um, I remembered watching these movies and mar marveling at how good this very young girl was. As the 80s wore on, Dana began to get into voiceovers. I would see her from time to time as we made the rounds, and I hoped that I'd get a chance to work with her. Finally, thanks to Rambo, I did. I don't recall what the specifics were, but Dana's character had a long scene with Rambo. Michael Hack stayed off the button and just let us do it without eruption, interruption. I couldn't see Dana. She was standing at a mic directly behind me, but I listened, really listened, and reacted to what I heard. She gave me so much to work with. Um, her line readings were wonderful. All I needed to do was react to them. We did uh, the we did the scene twice. Michael declared it was just great, and we moved on. It was a magic moment, maybe one of the best scenes I've ever played. This illustrates why I'm opposed to being brought in to do lines out of context with the other actors not even being present. Yeah, it's not the same at all, I would think. Um, and then having an editor paste the whole thing together. Sometimes magic happens when actors get to work together. They inspire each other and it leads to one much better performances. Sadly, I never worked with Dana Hill again. She died about 10 years later, far too young, a victim of the type of diabetes that had plagued her since childhood. What a shame. Uh, I can relate to that, my friend. I can really relate to that. I have more rather... I have one more rather ironic Rambo story. In May of 1988, I found myself with a cup, couple of hours to kill in between sessions. I was in Hollywood, and I decided to visit a couple of bookstores. In those days, um, there were quite a few located on Hollywood Boulevard between Whitley Avenue and McCaden Place. If you've ever read the book or seen the movie The Big Sleep, the part where Detective Philip Marlowe visits the various bookstores is set in that area. Uh, all right, <sighs> sorry. As I walked along Hollywood Boulevard, I began to hear PA system. And as I got closer, I recognized the distinctive voice of Johnny Grant, the XKMPC DJ, then known as the honorary mayor of Hollywood. Johnny used the MC to um, the the MC the ceremonies when folks. Uh, got their stars on Hollywood Walk of Fame. This was what was happening. The star being honored that day was Richard Crenna, whose, whose Walter Denton voice, you recall, I borrowed in the past. That's someone who I've always wanted to meet, was Richard Crenna. Um, I have such an admiration for him. He does, he is like such an underrated, such an underrated actor. So, uh, the Rape of Richard Beck, uh, the dog movie he did, um, you know, Rambo, his his voice acting on the radio, his early TV stuff. Uh, if you haven't seen that really long, awesome interview with him where he only talks a little bit about Rambo, where he gives his, uh, his go-around career, 
You should watch that. You should really, really watch that. It's on YouTube. I think it's still on YouTube. But um, rest in peace, Richard Crenna. That's another one. The world will never see anything like that again. And for him to just show up after playing an extreme to another character, the gay doctor, I believe, showed up like with, like what, not even 24 hours notice and pick up where Martin Sheen left off and deliver such an amazing performance, literally going line to line, improv you know come on come on i just i remember watching out ted Koch when he when you hear i made him i clapped people were clapping the place erupted like crazy his presence his presence on film is just something oh man oh man i really love that man i really love that man he was always one of those actors I wish that was my dad, you know. Um, my dad wasn't there for, through a lot of my life. Um, uh, I don't mean to hark on anything negative. I'm just saying um, I've all I've always looked at either my, my brother-in-law as my father because he spent so much time with me. He still spent spent so much time with me. I love him so much. But you know, let's see. Uh, a few people, you know, like Stallone, I've always looked at to, as a father figure. My dad actually had a lot of Stallone traits, which is kind of weird. I, I guess, you know, which is weird because my sister introduced, and my brother-in-law introduced me to Rambo, the same one I was talking about. Um, but my dad brought me to see other uh, Stallone stuff, like Cobra and stuff like that. And, you know, that, he had a couple of really cool Stallone traits to him, but... Uh, Richard Crenna was a man that I always looked at as a father figure, you know, like how great it would have been to have him as a father. David Morrell also, especially in the last couple of years going over David Morrell stuff. And actually when I talked to David Morrell, I found there was a really great connection there. And, um, he's a, he's another man I wish, uh, I wish, you know, could have been a father. He already was a, a father figure in my life, uh, even more so later on, um, through his writings and and a couple of years ago when I, I got to, the idea to, to hang out with him two times. Um, but yeah, another great father figure, another great father figure and Richard Crenna. Um, also someone I wished, uh, could have mentored me personally. Wish I, I, my one doubt with not doubt, but my one regret with doing this show is that I didn't start it when I was a kid. You know, that I, I didn't reach out to Richard Crennan then because I'm sure, I'm sure he would have took the time. I'm really sure he would have took the time. Great, great, great man. N not, never could say, uh, you know, enough good things about Richard Crennan. All right, man. Thank you, Neil, for taking me down memory lane once again. And uh, I really hope you enjoy it. So, um, these star ceremonies are frequently scheduled to coincide with the release of a movie the actor is in, and this was no exception. Rambo 3, in which Krenna co-starred, would be released that weekend. Krenna was already present, but then a huge stretch limousine came thundering or trundling down the boulevard, and Grant's voice went up an octave. Ladies and gentlemen, look at the limo that's coming. I wonder who's inside. I think it might be a very... Big star. The limo pulled up and stopped. The door opened. My goodness, shouted Graham. 
It's the star of Rambo 3 himself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sylvester Stone. The crowd went nuts. I seen I think I seen photos of this at um Field of Dreams. I want to say it was Field of Dreams or something in Las Vegas. They even had this awesome Rambo 3 theatrical tract with it. Um I have videos of it on my on my um on my uh Facebook if anybody's interested to see. The guy over there at Field of Dreams was awesome. He took out the, the tract for me. Um showed me all the stuff inside. Stallone was there a couple of days before I got there to sign stuff and I missed him by like a day or two. Um there was an event going on that weekend too there. Um Anyway, really, really, really cool. Really, really, really cool. I wish I would have bought it because it had Stallone's signature, Krennic's signature. Um, it was expensive, though, you know. Uh, I couldn't swing that at my uh, honeymoon at the same time. But, uh, yeah, there was some awesome – I saw a bunch of amazing, awesome Stallone stuff down there. Also, when I got engaged, I saw a lot of amazing Stallone stuff in Florida. They had – you know, one of those will be the cover of our uh, Spartan series coming up, Spartan Demolition, where I am standing right underneath the great, uh, what do you call that, The that giant puck, that the cryo Stallone, uh, that was freaking amazing to see. I think I'm wearing the hat I'm also wearing now in that picture, or my other Rambo, might be my other Rambo hat. But is also the still image for the cover of this series box set. So, anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, look at the limo that's coming. I wonder who's inside. I think it might be a very big star. The limo pulled up and stopped. The door opened. And my goodness, shout Grant. It's the star of Rambo 3 himself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sylvester Stallone. The crowd went nuts. It was indeed the man himself. Dressed to be dressed to the nines in a three-piece suit. A great tan. Every hair in place, he smiled and acknowledged the cheers of the crowd. Across the street, I leaned against a parking meter, watching the scene unfold. Just then, I felt a tug on my sleeve. I looked to my, le my left, and there, tugging at my shirt, was a sunburned old wino. Hey, pal, he entreated. <laughs> Got any spare change? Rambo saves the day once again. Uh, not just talking about the Stallone Rambo, but the Neil Ross Rambo, I bet. As I fished around in my pocket, it struck me. On one side of the street, on the on-camera Rambo was arriving in a limo to the cheers of the, of the crowd. Across the street, the cartoon Rambo is hanging on a parking meter and being panhandled by a wino. That pretty much told me which rung on the showbiz ladder I occupied. Um, you should have went over there. I should have. You should have went over there. When I showed up to an audition for Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling show, I didn't hold out too much hope. The, sh the show would be based on the real-life wrestlers of the World Wrestling Foundation. The producers were looking for a sound likes for the real guys who were too busy touring the country doing their own voices. You know what? Imagine, imagine that, man, just imagine that, you know, that, that scene. Imagine Neil on one side and Stallone on the other side of the street. I'm going to track down those photos, and when Neil comes on, that will be the cover of that episode. That will be on the cover shot for that episode. Um, I can't wait to talk to Neil about that. 
All right. I'd seen and heard most of the wrestlers on TV from that from time to time. They all had these deep, gravelly voices, real throat rippers. I can do that stuff, of course, but I'm a real disadvantage when I go up against guys who have those voices naturally. I don't think I had a prayer. Then as I glanced, I glanced through the concept art and character descriptions, I saw a drawing of Mean Gene Oakland. Rest in peace, Mean Gene. That meant his character would be in the show. Maybe this would give me an opportunity. Um, my good friend Carl Duke, who I work for from time to time, um, uh, and I think we have something coming out on the Screecher DVD with uh, Bill Dundee. We're doing a part for a piece for him for Jake C. Young at MTS. And uh, I'd like to get his take on this and maybe run it by and run it by um, Neil when I get the chance to talk to him. Um, shout out to uh, shout out to our good man uh, Carl Duke and sh a shout out to his wonderful wife Gina and, and shout out to um, Jake C. Young and Bill Dundee all working on the front lines during this disastrous time. My heart really goes out to you guys. Um, I would like to um, maybe do some virtual reality work with these guys in the future. Uh, we I have a, a concept for uh, VR wrestling that I'm tossing around right now between some of the players with uh, Carl. So hopefully we get to do that soon. Um, mean Gene Oakland. Oakland, sorry. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. Uh, I saw a drawing of Mean Gene Oakland. This meant that meant his character would be in the show. Maybe this would give me an opportunity. Mean Gene was a preppy little guy. At least he seemed like little standing next to the wrestlers, who was the WWF ring announcer interviewer. Listening to him, it was obvious that he had a broadcasting background. In fact, he worked as a DJ at KOIL Coil in o Omaha. One of those small market stations that seemed to produce a lot of talent that went on to the big time. Some Coil alumni would uh, include David Diamond, Gary Owens, and my old nemesis, Dr. Don Rose. Don Rose. With my background, if I couldn't sound um, my sound match a broadcaster, I was in the wrong business. Hey, maybe somebody would finally pay me for sounding like a goddamn radio announcer. <laughs> my only problem was nobody wanted me to read for me, Gene. They kept telling me not to bother, that his character probably wouldn't be in the show anyway. A thrusting copy of the various wrestler characters into my head, my hand. Finally, as I was about to leave, I made one final plea to read for me, Gene. Oh, all right. If you have, if you have to. They gave me one take and threw me out. A couple of weeks later, I learned I was in the show playing Mean Gene, of course. Um, it's usually how it goes, huh? When you think uh, when you think it's not going to happen, that's usually when you get that good surprise. That's what I love about what what we do. Um, while the show was originally titled Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, for some reason IMDb listed just as Rock and Wrestling. I don't know why that is. But in order to save my precious pinkies, I'll just use the shorter title for the rest of this. 
The cast of Rock and Wrestling was easy, the most testosterone-fueled of any show I ever worked on. In order to replicate these raspy voices, the powers that be cast a couple of guys I'd never seen before and never worked with again. I looked up one of them. His only IMDb credit, IMDb credit is in this show. In addition to them, we had Charlie Aldler, James Avery, George DeCenzo, Ron Feinberg, Ron Gaines, Gaines sorry, uh, of B movie trailer fame. Yeah. Pat Fraley and Aaron Kincaid, also aboard in the role of Hulk Hogan, was Brad Garrett, who would later rocket to stardom in Everybody Loves Raymond. The only woman in the regular cast was poor Jody Carlisle, who was tapped in the room with us and trapped in the room with us animal. I don't know if it was material we were dealing if it was the material we were dealing with or the gravelly voices or the combination of personalities involved, but this had to be the most foul mouth cast I ever worked with. I heard things said in rock and wrestling recording sessions I didn't hear in the Navy. Poor Jody had to suffer through all of it. So did the woman who voiced direct directed most of the episodes, but she didn't seem to hear it. Um she would stand there studying the script while all hell was breaking loose and then to restore order she would tap on her music stand with a pencil and just like they use in grade school and say quiet everyone and please don't visit with your neighbor please don't visit with your neighbor don't visit with your neighbor do you hear that guy just over there what that guy just over there said chatting in the green room ron Gaines and aaron kincaid discovered that they both had been in 1965 motion picture classic the girls on the beach in swinging color they never had met before as they have no scenes together in the pictures and the girls on the beach Aaron played a surfer and Ron played a sleazy promoter who puts on a bikini contest uh, we were going to try and track down a print and have a drunken Ron Gaines actor Kincaid Film Festival <coughs> excuse me but we never got around to it Aaron was in a lot of those 16 exploitation type movies like Ski Party, Beach Ball, Dr. Goldfoot, and The Bikini Machine, and The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. He must have been quite the heartthrob. Uh, when she found out I was working with Aaron, my wife confessed that as a teenager, she had, been a po she had a poster of him up in her bedroom. Aaron had a funny line referencing these those days. There was, this, or blah, blah, blah. there was a discussion going on about a certain actor and whether or not he had any talent. When Aaron finally piped up talent in my day, you don't need talent. All you need was smooth skin and a good tan. He had some great stories too. Leslie Gore was in Girls on the Beach as herself in one scene. All the, whoa, all the girls crowd into Leslie's room. And she sits on the bed with a guitar and sings one of her hits. All the girls just happened to be in lingerie while this was going on. And according to Aaron, when Leslie's mother got wind of this, she just she descended on the producers like a ton of bricks. Those other girls could do um, what they wanted, but her daughter would be appropriately attired. The producers and the director begged and pleaded to no avail. The result was that in that scene, while all other girls were in their 90s, Leslie looks like she was dressed to lead an expedition to the North Pole. Um, in the twilight of their respective careers, Boris Karloff and Basil Rathbone both appear in the girl the ghost both appear in the ghost of the ghost in the invisible bikini. 
The rest of the young cast members had no idea who these men were, but Aaron always had a reverence for classic Hollywood and made a point of spending as much time as he could with Carlotta and Rathbone. I hope he didn't mention Sherlock Holmes to Rathbone, I said to Aaron. I told him about that long time ago. Disastrous interview. Come on, uh, come to think of it, reduced to doing the ghost in his invisible bikini, Rathbone probably would have killed to do another Sherlock Holmes. Once, once while Aaron was talking to Boris Karloff, the director decided to finish filming a swimming pool scene, and then he couldn't find Aaron. He used a double, who was 50 pounds heavier than Aaron at the least. The result, Aaron told me, was, you see me swimming across the pool, all lean and lift, and then they cut, and as I get out of the pool, I've turned into this big fat shirt. Aaron also had a great story about meeting Humphrey Bogart. Here we go. We're on to the last legs now. In his teen years, Aaron went on to summer camp at Twin Harbors on Catalina Island, 20-some miles across the sea from Los Angeles. One morning, a lovely yacht hove to and anchored. The word spread out was Humphrey Bogart, Bogart's boat, the Santana. I'm assuming I don't have a huge bio of Bogart and his beautiful wife, Lauren Bacall. The American Film Institute has ranked Humphrey Bogart as the greatest male star in the history of American cinema. His wife, Lauren Betty Bacall, was blessed with the sexy voice and the sultry looks, not to mention a whole lot of talent. They fell in love while making the film to have and to have and have not. And despite a 20-year-plus age difference, their marriage lasted until the end of Bogart's life. Once he confirmed that the yacht was indeed the Santana, Aaron knew what he had to do. The next day was Sunday, and all the campers had to attend church services in the rec room. Aaron wore his Sunday outfit, but underneath he had a bathing suit. In his pocket were his precious autograph book and a pen wrapped in plastic. He contrived to be at the back of the crowd, and when services began, he quickly ducked out, hoping he wasn't spotted. He sprinted down to the beach and stripped to his bathing trunks. He showed the autograph book in his mouth and ran to the ocean, ran into the ocean. Then he swam towards the Santana. When he got there, the sides of the vessel towered above him. He could hear voices but couldn't see on deck. He shouted, hello, hello. After a familiar face appeared above him and a husky voice shouted, bogey, there's a boy in the water. Then an equally familiar voice replied, well, haul him aboard, my love, haul him aboard. He's lucky he didn't get eaten by a shark. Joss, Bruce. Okay, so loudly protesting that he ha uh, that he didn't want to intrude and only wanted an autograph. How's he gonna swim back with an autograph unless they put it in a Ziploc bag? Did they have Ziploc bags back then? Glad Ziploc bags. Remember that that guy with the white hair from the commercial? Anyway, loudly protesting that he didn't want to to intrude that he only wanted an aerograph. Aaron was hauled on deck and found himself face to face with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Cue the, cue that freaking song. That awesome song. That John Evangelist song. What was that song? The Friends of Mr. Cairo. Remember that one? Oh, I have stories to tell about that song. Anyway, Aaron was hauled over on deck and found face to face with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Bogart got him some coffee, but called, gave him a towel. Aaron kept apologizing for bothering him. them. He just wanted their autographs, and then he'd be on his way. They assured him 
that they weren't bothered by his presence and suggested he catch his breath before attempting to swim back. Eventually, the book was signed, and Aaron went over the side and swam back to Twin Harbors. His absence had been noted, and he caught it, caught hell for it, but he didn't care. He had the precious signatures. Can you imagine the guy, like, in the water, doggy paddling with one hand, and then with his other hand holding that book across the, across the way back? That's, like, that's tricathlon. That's some Will Hoff stuff, man. He should have he got a, a medal for that. Get him in the Olympics. Um, there was one side note to the adventure. Another couple was aboard the Santana that morning. Aaron had smiled and exchanged hellos with them, but they couldn't. They they but they hadn't been introduced. The woman didn't make make much of an impression, but Aaron noticed the young man who, despite having a very pockmarked skin, was strikingly handsome. A year or two later, Aaron saw him in a film. It was Richard Burton. The woman was his first wife, Sybil. This makes perfect sense, of course. The Burtons and the Bogarts were great friends. Burton had adopted Bogey and Betty when they when they visited London. And when he and his wife came to Hollywood, the Bogarts returned a favor. That included a little sailing trip to Catalina. Catalina? Catalina. And on 387, to finish off this great chapter... Which I thank, I thank, uh, I thank dear Neil greatly for, um, is a photo here. Power Extreme, the Centurions, L.R. Vince Edwards, me, and Pat Fraley. By Pat Fraley. Pick this book up, guys. Pick this book up. You'll get it for a steal on Kindle right now. A steal. Absolute steal. I guarantee. And send Neil... Some feedback, man, because these are some great stories. And, you know, this is a part of history that I think a lot of people don't really take the time to look at. And, you know, honestly, they should just make a movie about this. This should be a movie. Vocal Recall should be a movie. You know, or imagine Vocal Recall as a narrated uh, Netflix series. That would be amazing. I would love to see a documentary. Uh, featuring Neil Ross. I would love to, love to, absolutely love it. So once again, I just want to thank Neil, and I want to thank all you guys for sticking it out with me tonight uh, through these seven great de days of Neil Ross. While we do our, uh, what do you call that, our uh, force of, um, oh, sorry, May the 4th of Freedom be with you weekend, May Day to May the 4th. Um, yeah, man, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. And I can't wait to hear what everybody uh, has to say about some of these adventures. And I guess with that, we'll see you a year early later on at Series 2. Good night.